People are people, not users, is one of them. I will die on the hill that we need to talk with people instead of at them, and we need to talk to pe- them as people who have a problem or an opportunity that we can solve. Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Organic marketing channels give you the ability to talk with your audience instead of at them. Today, I chatted with Katie McBratney, a marketing veteran turned entrepreneur. She currently is the co-founder and COO of OwnTrail, which she has grown solely with organic growth. We chatted about how to think about organic growth, why paid social and organic social teams should be best friends, and why organic channels make all channels run better. When customers book demo calls and don't show, it's a waste of time and money. But it's a problem Chili Piper can fix with the most advanced booking software on the market. Book a demo today at chilipiper.com forward slash millennials. Hey, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you the first question is just how did you get started in marketing? I'm actually, I think you could say an accidental marketer. I went to school and studied journalism and mass communications and thought I would go into broadcast journalism and then thought I would go into PR. But my first job was actually in marketing, in-house. And I didn't realize that was actually just like a rich area to apply the the love of storytelling and my tendency to go down rabbit holes and try all of the things um, as a generalist. So I really didn't realize marketing was a rich area until I dove into my career with my first job at a world-class zoo doing marketing and events. So I never thought that was the plan, but here we are. And that's been, it's been my jam for getting close to 20 years now. I love it. And I love that you started at a zoo. That's amazing. Um, Everybody's always like, what? And I'm like, they were hiring. I was looking for a job. Why would I rule it out? And I learned so much because I got to do so much versus just watch others which is, you know, sometimes the case when you start off as in a junior role in marketing at larger companies, you shadow, you learn, you get to own a little piece of it. But my office at the zoo by the uh, Red Panda, I got to just dive in and do lots of things to find out what really lit me up and what I was good at. So you're really passionate about organic growth and intentional growth. How do you think about organic growth? I think a lot of times like people still use the peso framework, the paint earned, you know, um, that whole model. And I think that that's helpful. I like to think about or- organic growth really as, as what's sustainable and unpaid in terms of non-ad based, right? That's kind of just how I, how I delineate it. And what I love about organic growth is that it touches so many different areas. It's part of acquisition. It's part of onboarding. It's part of retention. It's part of referral, right? Like it's, it kind of is the heartbeat of 
an omni-channel or, or a, a robust marketing strategy. And that excites me. And I also know the value of it, right? Because like you're not, you can own pieces of it instead of being dependent on algorithms or search terms or ad rates, right? There's so, I have so much respect for people who are in the paid marketing world because that is just not my, my flavor. And I love organic because of the sustainability, because of the creativity, because you get to play in lots of different channels and also connect the dots. What are some channels that you think are, have you seen as the best organic growth channels? I started my career in 2005. And because of that, I've really been on the front lines of watching social develop since the jump. My career and the rise of social as we know it have really overlapped. And that's where I've seen so much happen and change when it comes to organic growth. So like back in like 2008, I was running PR for a system of community colleges and I advocated for us to start using social media just with Facebook and Twitter and using it not as just a marketing channel, but as a comms channel. And we saw that help support recruitment. We saw it help support student engagement, right? Like if if school was closed for a snow day, like how much easier was it to pop on and post a message on Facebook than it was to like call the news station, say the password, which is how it works for canceling schools. There's like a code word that only certain people have. But getting to see that, right? Very, very basic, it seems now. Like use Twitter so people know about your services. Share about programs on Facebook. It seems common sense now, but at the time it was, it was very new. To how social has developed to now, you know, I think about the amazing campaigns and also the unhinged things that we see on there now. It's just a massive playground for organic growth and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. Um, right now, Radio Shack's Twitter antics are blowing up for better or worse. But at the same time, like we get to see brands and individuals play and learn in real time and adjust. And I think that that shift from like just one to many communication, like using it as a news or an awareness driver to it being a fully participatory channel to me really demonstrates the value and the, um, that organic growth is worth investing in. It's, it's the ability to talk with your community or your customers instead of just talking at them, which is even more important now because like consumers, we're more savvy to marketing and ad. Like we know when we're being sold to. And with organic, we can kind of take that, that veil off and be like, yeah, of course I'm here to sell you this thing, but also let's have fun while we're doing it. How would you go about pitching to a business that to invest in organic growth? Because a lot of organic growth channel, it's hard to really see true attribution. I believe in organic growth for the long play, but a lot of leaders I know it's it's not a channel that has direct ROI and fast ROI. I think you brought up two really important points, right? Like direct and fast. Totally agree that organic growth builds over time. It's, you know, you're not going to see the fastest results versus running, you know, a thousand dollar campaign on Facebook ads. It's not the same beast. And so my first piece of advice is to set that expectation. 
to actually communicate the structural differences between the types of models, right? When you're talking about paid growth, be it search, be it paid social, be it even, you know, like out of home, it just is, especially with digital marketing, more attributable. Like it's easier to attribute. It just is. And so just by naming that, you can get your help yourself ahead of a lot of those questions, which to your point, Leadership is, there's always one person in the room just waiting in the wings to be like, yeah, but how are we going to know? So start by getting ahead of that and by bringing up how you plan to handle um, attribution for the channels that you're using. There's lots of different ways, everything from UTM parameters on links for organic posts or newsletters or things like that. There are ways. And then also the contrarian that I am, I like to post point out the holes in attribution for some paid, right? Like I mentioned out of home, especially for small businesses, local businesses, things like that. They're running billboards. They're doing QR codes and things like that, but they're not able to measure the mindshare that then goes to an organic search or goes to a direct hit, right? Like you might see a Patagonia billboard or Patagonia at like the bus stop and be like, oh, that's right. I do need to get another tent, right? Like you can't attribute that. So like organic has challenges with attribution, but so does paid. And then I also like to point out that you can demonstrate some quick wins. So do some experiments beforehand, like know where you can get those quick wins to build the case for long-term investment and come prepared with those. And it doesn't have to be big. If you can say, for example, since we brought up social we're not measuring our, our success by followers. We're measuring our success by traffic and by focusing more on our Twitter strategy. We've increased our traffic 30% in a week with an hour more work. So being able to like lead with numbers and with demonstrating the knowledge of you understanding this fundamental structural differences between these types gives you the upper hand in those conversations and can kind of like shift the naysayers to the side to hear the plan instead of just criticizing this type of channel. I always used to say to some leaders, because I've been in marketing ops for a while, and when we used to spend a lot on, let's say, brand search Google, I was like, how do they know what the brand's name was? It's not like they didn't go and magically just know your brand's name and then type it into Google and you just paid for that search. So it's, and you're attributing it to paid, so like Google. So, and it all based on your like attribution model, if you're first click or last click, right? Like organic can be the tip of that, of that, that then a paid ad converts, but it's our brains are complex and it's very rarely, especially now I mentioned, we're all so used to seeing ads and marketing everywhere. It's just the world we live in. It's very rare that it's the first time you're interacting with a, a brand in paid marketing that you're clicking and completing a purchase. It does happen, totally happens. But like to your point, you don't know what got them thinking about the problem that they need to solve or your product or your brand. All you know is what got them to the door of your website or in your store. It's funny because, I mean, humans have short-term memory 
in general. So even if you ask them sometimes, they'll just tell you like the latest thing that they saw or someone told them, but it could have been a Facebook ad like six months ago that initially sparked their interest in your brand, but they don't remember it. Totally. That's, I always feel so bad when I get that survey on a, on a website or when I'm buying something, they're like, how did you hear about us? And I'm like, I wish I could trust that this was a hundred percent my right answer. And as, as a marketer, I always like, I always answer that question, always trying to help out another marketer, but I'm always like, I think it was Google search or did I, did somebody mention it first? I don't know. So yeah, I always, I always kind of pause at that. And I love that you brought up marketing ops because I think that the case for ops oftentimes is very similar to the case, making the case for organic. Like it's the thing that sometimes like, of course you can see wins. You can see when it's succeeding wildly and also when it's working well as a part of maybe a, a paid strategy, right? If you're, if your primary growth model and, and strategy is relying on paid, but organic supports that, you're not going to focus on the organic unless it's broken. Right. Just like ops, like if everything's running really well, it makes everything else run better. And when things on the ops side start to like break down or have an issue, you see it affect the growth. And so I think looking at like what balance of your organic to paid, right? Because organic can be just like fuel. It can keep things running so that your paid is successful, much like having strong ops makes it so sales works or all of your MarTech stack works. I have this analogy about marketing ops is when someone goes to visit a new house, the marketing is, oh, look at the nice kitchen, the nice backyard, the primary bedroom, the nice bathroom. But nobody goes into the house and be like, oh, that's good plumbing, good electricity. Like the house works. Like nobody goes and like, let me check under the hood and see if it works. But that's marketing ops. Marketing ops make sure that if you if you had a house with no plumbing and no electricity, you're not buying that house. Like let's be honest. Uh, right. And you don't talk about that until you're like almost at the end of the sale. That's when mm-hmm. the inspection happens and you you're just checking because there's always the assumption that it's all working well. I use an analogy similar like about a car. People, when they're buying a car, like they just assume that it's going to work too. And they're looking at the outside. They're looking at the features. They're thinking about what it, what it would feel like to drive that car. And to me, that's very similar to organic growth. It's focusing on how you'd feel using something. And, um, then when you get in, you can, you can support like, yeah, test drive it, see how it feels. Okay. Check it out. If it's a used car, get it, get it inspected. But it's so true. And so I think that if anybody has worked in marketing ops or works well with them, like talk to each other about how you're selling and, and selling your strategies and sharing your wins because attribution makes it easier for the paid folks to get the lion's share of the credit. And I'm not undercutting them at all. And also you're say you're part of that machine. To make a case for like even organic. When someone looks at an ad and sees a Facebook ad and goes to research them on Instagram to see if they actually have a following or go reach and see if they're actually credible and people actually follow them and what are they posting, 
my wife, the first thing she does is like check if the brand actually has like a following on Instagram and who follows them and who actually cares about the brand. But when she sees an ad first, she does that. And it's just like what you said, they play hand to hand. You need to have some credibility because if you had no brand aware awareness, like someone will look at that and be like, this company is a nobody. They don't know anybody. They have nobody following them. Nobody cares about them. It's just like the new credibility, organic social. There's so much out there and it's so easy now, especially with, with social ads. Anybody could run an ad. Like I could run an ad today and get some stock photos and say that I have a bespoke jewelry company. So I could set up a Shopify really quickly and like sell a bunch of stuff that I could just grab from the dollar store and put in different packaging, right? Like I love that marketing has been democratized in terms of access to it especially for small businesses, underfunded businesses. I love that the tools are everywhere. And also that's why organic plays a huge role in supporting that so that consumers and like people can know like what they're actually buying into. And especially as we focus like with Own Trail, my company, we don't make a tangible product. We're selling services and tech tools. So like there's no Yelp review for that. Like we would use a restaurant um, there's no like product reviews like you would have on an e-commerce site. So being able to use organic, not just as a selling channel, but also as a trust building channel and for acquisition, but also to carry the folks that have gone with you further with you to keep them on your journey. Um, another story, if I may, um, a company that I, that I was at before starting own trail seed and spark. I was the chief marketing officer there. Um, they work with independent filmmakers and creatives and do world-class crowdfunding for film and all kinds of creative products. But there's a big focus there about audience building that is 100% a masterclass in organic marketing. And so I think looking at how artists, um, creators, how they've used organic channels to, one, monetize, right? Like, look at, we have an entire creator economy where people start by building organically and building their audience, which does two things. One, it works as this uh, credibility check, this trust, this demand gen, but it also is real-time learning. So learning who are these people engaging with you? Who are these people following you? Because it might not always be who you thought it would be. And so I think that if we, we look at what creators have done since forever, since before the internet, in building their audiences, organic marketing is really where it started. And it hasn't stopped evolving. It's evolving at a different pace than digital marketing because they're different things. And so even when you like look back in time over how show posters used to be the thing, if you wanted to see a band, you found out because of show posters or flyers or word of mouth, there are still lessons from that that can be applied now, especially when people are getting oversaturated with ads in feed or branded pop-ups and like all of these things that just are like ads, digital marketing in your face and people are turning off cookies, people are turning off tra tracking, people are opting out. So I even think that organic is a rich learning place to come up with new ideas, to challenge thinking for even paid. I don't think that they have to be these kind of like two opposing camps. I'm excited to see what happens more and more when people do connect the two 
I think there are some interesting things that came out of Cannes this year, like Pinterest's speech was really interesting, um, especially in how they demonstrated the power of their paid and organic, right? That they have a different vibe. They really honed in on their brand, which is a, your brand is a huge piece of your organic marketing. We live in a world that's dominated by brands. So a little soapbox about that. What is a marketing hill you would die on? People are people, not users, is one of them. I will die on the hill that we need to talk with people instead of at them. And we need to talk to pe- them as people who have a problem or an opportunity that we can solve. I will die on that hill. And I don't think that's surprising since I love organic and it's all about adding value to people's lives instead of extracting it. The other one is just because it's not directly attributable does not mean it didn't work. We often jump to the easy answer or if there's not immediately a number tied to it, the assumption is it didn't work. There's other ways to find out if something works. Sometimes you just got to like pop out of Google Analytics or pop out of whatever like break out of our boxes. There's an answer. We just have to look for it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I always say when I'm talking to people about building personal brand or like their own brand, you will start feeling it before you see it. Cause you'll see, start seeing people reach out to you, be on your podcast. And then people reach out and you say great content and all these stuff and all these stuff cannot ever be measured, but you'll know because you start feeling more and more people starting to reach out to know about you, ask about what you're doing. And those things aren't attributable to anything. It's just a feeling that starts happening. Like qualitative research is just as valuable as quantitative. Sometimes you got to work harder for it. And I also am a huge proponent like I exist at the intersection of like personal brands are bullshit yet long live the personal brand because I think they can be done really, really well. And then I think sometimes people turn themselves more into a product than a person. And that sucks the joy and the humanity out of why people want to work with a person. Um, so that's a whole nother, uh, whole nother topic there, but it's, I love, I love your advice there too, right? It's so applicable. I think a personal brand, I just think the word has got convoluted, but I think personal brand more of a, you're a creator, you're creating something, creating value for the world and who you, you want to be known for. Because for me, I started in marketing ops, but I didn't get the opportunity to show that I was good at social and I love social. And the only way I could have done that is by creating online showing that I could do it. And that created a persona that I'm actually good at it, where like if I didn't do that for my brand, I would have just been known as the marketing ops guy. Cause if you looked at my resume, that's what it would have said. I'm all about how we're more than our resume. Like I literally am building a business that's about that. But it's also so true when it comes to personal brands, right? It's like, just like company brands or product-based brands, it's about perception and you're helping shape that perception, but you can't control it. Like Peloton wants everybody to feel like they're a part of, of a community. They can't force that. They can either do it well and people feel that or they try it and people don't associate with that. And personal brands are the same. Like you can't make people think that you're good at social. You have to demonstrate that you're good at it. 
and then build that from there. And I think for me, the problem with, with personal branding is that as, as it's risen as a movement, people think that you can hack it, that there's one specific formula to define your personal brand, to develop it. And you hit the nail on the head. It's being authentic to who you are and what you want to be known for. And to me, a personal brand, regardless of if you're a solopreneur, a consultant, a creator, if it's your full-time gig, if it's just your reputation in the industry or in the world, it's what you offer or what you're known for, right? Like your niche, your industry, your your field, your services, but it's also why you. It's your unique perspective and experiences. And so if you get too hung up on like the selling of it, you're losing the perspective of like, why would somebody like talk to Daniel about it versus talk to somebody else who has a podcast on marketing, right? Like you lose your differentiator when you lose your you. I mean, the whole thing of personal brand is just being personal. So that's the funny part is like, they think they just take out personal and they think it's brand and you have to combine the two to make it a personal brand. Otherwise it's just, you're a company and a company and a person and a company are two different things. I mean, they have the same qualities. They both have personalities, but at the same time, one is a product, they have features, and the other one is unpredictable, irrational, ever-changing thing that it could be changing. You could change tomorrow your opinion and be a different person. It's just like, that's how, it's just crazy. Like, it's not a brand where you're just like tied up and have to follow brand guidelines to make sure you're good. Right. And so many people will be like, what's, I need to develop a personal brand and they'll be several years into their career, 20 years into their career. And it's like, you already have one. Do you know what it is? And do you want to change that? People already associate things with you. Um, be it, like I said, like an industry, like a channel, like a whatever. But it's also the vibe you're putting off. Like, are people like, oh yeah, she's the person I go to when I need to make ops. Un- I need to be able to understand ops. Like I know that she'll be able to break it down for me. Cool. You just said that you're approachable, you're accessible, you're a good communicator, and you know your shit about ops. You already have a personal brand. So like this idea that you need to invent one, I think is also a a little bit of a snake oil approach. And to your point, it changes over time. So it's just like brand listening. It's like reputation monitoring. It's like customer feedback loops. If you're thinking about having a personal brand, you already got those in your life. You don't have to start from scratch. I just say social is a way to amplify who you really are and let more people know. It's networking at scale. It's not a way to just change who you are. And we see through it, right? When we see when people are sometimes trying on a new persona and sometimes, you know, we're like, good for you. Good for you. I'm I'm excited for you to take this fork in the road. And sometimes we're like, did somebody hack your account? (laughs) This, this math does not math here. I know how frustrating it is when customers book calls and don't show. It's a waste of time and money. That's why I'm impressed at how Chili Piper is fixing the problem through their advanced booking system. And it's not just booking. Chili Piper also boosts conversion rates and generates more calls. Brands like Airbnb and Gong are seeing great results and you can too. 
Book a demo today at chilipiper.com forward slash millennials. That's chilipiper.com forward slash millennials. What is a trend you're seeing right now that marketers should jump on or more marketers should jump on? I feel like I get more and more ahead and behind on trends every day because things are moving so quickly. I think my prediction is that channels are going to get increasingly more connected instead of more siloed. They'll get more siloed for specific businesses. Like for example, places that are crushing it, like e-com brands that are crushing it, like D2C e-com brands that are crushing it, like with Instagram ads, those might get more siloed and like they focus in. But for more broad companies and services, I think the interconnectedness is going to only amp up. There's only going to be more channels. And what I think that means for marketers and a trend that I'm seeing is it's almost like a reversion to when social media marketing became a thing or even like search marketing became a thing where if it's in your wheelhouse, you have to know all of the pieces of it. So this expectation that if you do search, you know, SEO, SEM, all of that and can deliver on it. Much like lots of times job postings for social are strategist, um, like community manager, all of the above. So I think that the interconnectedness also has implications for how roles will be structured for better or for worse. You can be a generalist and that's awesome. And also you could be hired for a role that should really be three separate jobs. It's actually crazy that you can expect someone to be great at Twitter, great at LinkedIn, great at TikTok, great at Facebook groups, great at the, it's just even like building by myself. I'm like, I couldn't even do TikTok. I need someone who's a pro at TikTok to do that because I'm not good at video, for example. I'm better at writing and I'm better at imagery and someone else is better at video. But you expect people to be good at all these all these different formats and then also understand all these different channels, which is just crazy to me. And also these these different opportunities that are popping up. Like when we look at like TikTok or even Be Real or Dispo when it was like the hot new thing, as new playgrounds emerge, they're being built with an idea of like ways to use them organically and ways to use them as paid. And somebody who like excels at like, um, since social is where we're kind of, we've been, we've been focusing this as our example place, like expecting somebody to be an expert in using Facebook for organic growth and an expert in using it for paid. Those are wholly different strategies. They're wholly different tools within the platform. It's a lot. And so I think that though, if you look like at TikTok, which is such a cool example of so many things, like both from a a creator, a consumer, and from a brand perspective, like TikTok has been investing in organic engagement and traction and ways that brands can and creators can play with it there, but they're also investing in the paid side at the same time. Whereas we've been used to, they build up something as organic or paid and then layer the other top on top of it. They're developing in tandem. And I think that that's overall good and also risky because it puts the onus on the marketer to be excellent at both at the same time while they're being developed. It's just impossible to be the best at all of the things when they're all changing really fast, really fast. And I think that's a discussion that needs to be brought up to leadership as well. Is that prioritization of what your organic to paid mix is and who's executing that? Cause it ain't going to be the same people all the time. 
My whole thing is like, if you're organic, understand why paid works, why it's needed, how organic can play a part in paid, but it's not your job to be the, the paid person. Um, it was the same as paid, like understand why organic works, understand. Cause a lot of the time, like the best organic posts, like could be one of the best performing ads that you have and vice versa. You learn from each other. I think what we're doing is making a case for like the organic person and the paid person to become best friends. And I cannot advocate for that enough. Like when I was at Newegg, which is an e-commerce giant in the computer hardware, that, that whole space, like I ran brand marketing, ran our social teams, worked with events, that whole, that whole slew of organic channels. And I literally sat next to the folks running our paid search or paid social, like I, I sat next to them on purpose and being able to be aware of what's happening in each other's worlds in a respectful and not a competitive way, right? Cause we're all fighting sometimes for recognition, for budgeting, et cetera. But being able to do that really allowed us to go like, this is working for them and we can use that here, or this is working for us. Can you use this? Because we're on the same team. Like we're on the same team. We work for the same company and we're all contributing to the same goals. And so I think that there's oftentimes like this, like not animosity, but like adversary approach to like organic versus paid. And to your point, it's like, no, like on the same team, bro. Can't we just like, why can't we all get along? But it works. It, I mean, I've, I've seen it work and that's another hill I'll die on. I talked to, um, one of my friends is a marker and leads, leads creative at Lego. And he says like, he works closely with like paid and organic at Lego too. Like, cause organic you could, is a testing ground for what works on paid. And then paid is also a testing ground to see what actually people are converting and care about to sale. So it's like one's testing the other, like Twitter is like one of the best testing ground for ideas um, that could be working in paid because it resonates with your audience. So it's just like these testing grounds where if you're not utilizing the organic person as a paid or the paid person, you go to paid person and be like, what ads are actually converting? What pain points are actually converting so I can create more content around that? Totally. Uh, and then like even closing that loop with like the customer success or the customer experience team and seeing what questions are people asking? What pain points are they having? What products or services are they raving about? Right? Like looking at that end of funnel and saying, how can you weave that into both the paid and the organic is, is like, the trifecta for me. And it's so funny you brought up Lego. I was looking this morning. I don't know what rabbit hole I went down, but I was having my coffee before I answered emails. And somehow I was looking at Lego's brand framework, which if anybody hasn't seen it, it is to me like such a like chef's kiss, great example of a brand framework that is useful for all parts of the organization, especially marketing of course, unorganic and paid. Like I saw it and I could see ad campaigns and organic strategy, just like examples of it, like fired in my brain. It's so good. If you're a brand nerd, if you're a marketing nerd, you, I think you just have to Google Lego brand framework. It is like perfection. I mean, what he was telling me, uh, how he sets up his team and stuff like that is just crazy and amazing how like it's just so methodical and 
everything has a part to uh, this like formula to do great social and great paid. It's just crazy. Well, and even talking about attribution, there was, I think it was, um, it was either a reel or it was a TikTok that was making the rounds a few months ago from a Lego store employee. And they were like, we aren't judged or rewarded or our goals aren't like based on how much each store makes. It's overall sales. And our job at the stores is to make sure people have a good experience with Legos, not to sell as much merchandise as possible. And I think that that's another example of how powerful organic is. Like that's organic marketing. That's organic selling is to let people use your product, give away a little minifig, right? To a kid who's having the time of their life. Those positive brand experiences pay off long-term. And I think Lego and their probably nearly a hundred year legacy is proof of the power of that. And obviously we've all seen ads too. They're doing both and they're doing both well and in parallel and trusting that their strategy will continue to drive results and not only focusing on what's immediately converting and it's the most easily to attribute. Yeah. And that's that right. that's proof that it builds longevity. And I think a lot of times in our digital first world, we're thinking about now. We're not thinking about how to sustain a business or sustain a marketing plan. And that creates not just a recipe for people burnout, but for business burnout. Because if you're dependent on an algorithm and you haven't thought about any organic or other channels and that algorithm changes, I've seen that shut down businesses. I've been thinking about this theory for a while of like why a CMO has a, such a short life cycle. And I th I'm always thinking like, it's probably because they're not thinking about the business for five to 10 years and how to sustain it. They're thinking of hitting that year revenue number. And then the next year it's becoming harder to hit that number. And they've set this expectation instead of like saying like, okay, obviously there's also other things like VC pressure and stuff like that, but that's another story, but they just, a lot of marketing teams are just not, it's not built and it's not their fault a lot of time. It's it's not built to think like, if this business is going to be around in five years or 10 years, what is it going to be? And who who are we going to be? And what do we want to be known for? And that could change, but nobody's like thinking that five-year plan. That's why I think as a business owner, you're, it's, you can create a better marketing strategy because you could think of that 10 years down the line. Who, who do I want this business to be? I think that you're totally spot on that it's a structural issue that is leadership-led and the CMO might want to be thinking five, 10 years down the line, but that might not be what they're allowed or resourced to do. And I think there's a mix of both. People who are just focused on the immediate, they're thinking their tenure is going to be a year, two years. They're going to make the biggest impact they can so that they can ladder to their next role. And I don't know. To me, that just feels not sustainable for teams, for like, but also just for like our human energy to like, go even back to the fact that like we're people talking to people like growth for growth's sake does not last. Like I'm all about high growth. I'm all about short and long-term, but I do think that this focus on the quick wins and immediate exponential growth leaves a lot of opportunity for sustained growth and for bigger long-term growth. And it doesn't have to be one or the other, just like it doesn't have to be organic or paid. Leadership has a responsibility for introducing that into their teams, into their thinking, and and helping frame the next generation of, of marketers to think holistically. And that's something I take really seriously as somebody who is thought of as 
I don't know. I think I'm still like 24 in my head. But as somebody who's thought of as like as somebody in, at a senior level, I do take that responsibility of helping develop the next generation of marketers to do better than I did at that time where I was thinking one or the other or survival of the fittest or the channel battles. Like the more I can help institute this more long-term thinking while still proving those short-term wins, the more change we can make in an industry that's known for burnout and stress and all of the icky things that we know and have heard about. If someone came to you starting their career now and you would tell them a piece of advice and they will come back to you five years later and thank you for it, what advice would you give to them? I would tell them to be human first. And I mean that in two ways. One, in how you approach marketing, regardless of what area, autonomy, or resources you have, right? Really think of being human first and how you're approaching it. And then also as a person right? Like you are a human, like you need to tend to your needs as well. And that'll help you be successful in your role. So if something is giving you alarm bells that you don't like doing that kind of work, or that you're doing something just because you're good at it, or that you feel like you're taking on too much, or you're feeling great when you do stuff, like maybe you are the email, like maybe you own email, but you love, you really love writing. And that's the piece of the job that lights you up. Listen to that. Because I think that there's so many things we could do in this field. Just stop and listen to ourselves to figure out what we want to be doing and applying that to the people that we're reaching out to. Because regardless of if we're marketing like package delivery or CBD products or life coaching, right? We're people talking to people and we lose that a lot. Amazing. I love the be human part. I think one, the whole thing of marketing is you're connecting with a human being people forget about that they go think of people as numbers and like you said before as users and they get lost that we're connecting with humans and there's so many examples of this in your podcast like in the episodes when you hear people talk about how they got into the field almost every time it's something about connecting with people it's storytelling it's um, being creative, it's solving problems. Like those are people oriented passions. And so it's so easy to get lost in a spreadsheet, but like, like at own trail, we literally don't call people on own trail users, even internally in a meeting, unless it's like a purely like, who are the people using this button? We might use user, but like we have nixed that word from our internal vocabulary. And it's a fundamental shift. It's a mindset shift that filters into how everybody on, on the team works. Like even our engineers, like they don't use the word user anymore, which when you've got people with 25 years of software engineering experience at places like Microsoft, getting them to drop the word from user from their daily vocab is, is quite the feat. But I think those small things can be powerful and they keep you connected to your humanity too. I heard someone say that, and I try to implement this as an ops person when I was in SaaS. And I used to say like, it, we should start naming like MQLs, like per, like prospective new customers. And then like the thing like customers and, or like whatever you call your internal name of what a customer is. But like, 
instead of saying MQL, they're not a number. They're a potential new person that is going to buy from you. And you need to think of them like that because then you will actually, people will actually call them. People will actually respect that they came in and giving you their time. So I think it's just like that mindset shift is amazing that you do that. I'm all for it. Let's, let's rehumanize, especially startup language because it's just, it got gross. Like, I don't know what happened, Mm -hmm. but it got gross real fast. Um, so I'm, I am down for that. Um, oh, and I'm just like, now my, I'm so curious as to all the potential different names you could come up with. Right. Cause MQL. Oh, exactly. Um, I want to give you the last minute or two to talk about own trail and anything you want to, how people could find you and your, anything about you, you want to talk about. Dope. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, this was really fun. I'm really glad that we, we did this. What own trail is. So I've had my career in marketing and then, um, that's still what I own in the own trail realm. But what we are is building tools and connection for people to blaze their own trail, to have a more fulfilling life. And that, looks a different way for a lot of different people. And it's been really great to be able to use my organic skills to build that. Haven't paid a dime of paid ads to date, which is amazing. And so I'd invite everybody to connect with me there. You can create an account for free and all of that and view my trail. It's a visual representation of the personal and professional milestones of my life. And invite you all to play around and create your own because as we talk about being human first, You'll get a literal new perspective in the form of this cool visual of where you've been and where you are and also like where you could go from here. So if you're feeling bummed out or burned out by traditional social or feel like your resume doesn't encapsulate who you are and what lights you up, play around on own trail. And I would say with that, as a founder, I didn't start my marketing career when I had that that job at the zoo all those years ago thinking that I could become a tech founder. And I think marketers make really great founders, not just because we're thinking about short-term and long-term growth, but because we're thinking about how how to connect and solve for people. So I would love to hear from anybody who's thinking about founding a company or wearing all of the hats, like I am here for you. I have been a team of one many times, always down to talk with folks about questions about organic and how to champion for it and how to not just play nicely, but play well with the paid folks. And um, yeah, that's the best way. It's probably on own trail. I'm on social at K to the T. I'm mostly on Twitter. It's my, it's where my people are. It's where I met you, Daniel. And yeah, just to keep the conversation going, because I think this podcast does an excellent job and, and you do an excellent job on Twitter of continuing the conversation. And that's what makes us evolve the industry and break out of our silos. Thank you so much for this. This has been fun. I love talking about organic and I love your passion for organic. And and I also love that you understand all parts of it. It's not like you're diehard organic and it's not, you don't understand about paid, which like there's a lot of silos in marketing. So thank you for this. It's been awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my work is really like the more silos I can bust in the world while I'm here, sign me up. So thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.